What's up, everyone, and welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 26. Today is a super, super special episode. I have my friends Hallie Rose and Eric Godsey on the podcast, and we go super, super deep. Um, This episode is two full hours long, so buckle in for it. And it came about when I had this idea that I'd really love to get some of my favorite thinkers that I'm in contact with and record a podcast episode where we just go extra mega stupid deep on a single topic or just a couple of topics in this case so that's what we did today we went super deep on the idea of stories stories we're telling ourselves stories that we interact with out in the world we also talked about depression and we get super deep towards the end of the episode so i hope you enjoy if you do enjoy this episode as always it is super super helpful share it with a friend Review us on iTunes if you want to hit that five-star rating and leave a written review. Super appreciate it. That's what helps spread the podcast out. And as always, you can find me at my website, www.throughtheveil.co. I have a variety of coaching availability on my website. And I also have some programs, uh, mainly my Vivid Visualizations program, which helps you take four weeks to get your visualization game leveled up and helps you manifest things more easily into your life. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. I absolutely loved this one, so I hope you enjoy it, too. All right, so we are live. Hallie, Eric, welcome to this Strange Times, Strange Podcast, shall we call it? Um, (laughs) You two are two of my favorite people in the whole world in terms of both how I respect your thoughts and how I just wanted to get into a conversation where the three of us can kind of riff on some topics, go really, really fucking deep and figure out what the fuck we think about things and maybe discover some new things we think about things. How are you two doing today? Hi. I am, you know, before you started recording, Alex, you asked me, you were like, oh, how are you doing? And I was like, hmm, how to answer this question? And I was really feeling like right before I jumped on, I've been just ebbing and flowing through a lot of emotion and I think a lot of people are and like an hour ago I was like I'm in no place to be doing a podcast right now like telling other people like what's up and then and then I was giggling about it because like I, I went outside and I sat with myself and I had a little kind of ceremonial moment and just kind of allowed what was coming up and it was some of this like idea of like, oh, I, what if I, what, I can't offer people advice, like, I'm in the middle of my shit right now, and then I said to Alex, I was like, no, 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 this is, like, the perfect time to do a podcast, like, when my resistance is there, and when I'm worried, and my ego's wrestling with, like, what, so, um, that's where I am today, like, full disclosure, I'm, like, I'm in the underworld of, of my stuff, and, um, it's beautiful, and I'm I'm really really humbled and grateful for the invitation from you, Alex, and the opportunity to bring kind of a female voice to this conversation. And ultimately, when I was sitting with myself outside, I was like, "Girl, that's all you have to do. Just like be yourself and speak from your heart, and bring that kind of feminine balance into it. And that's all you have to do to show up." So that's that's how I'm doing. <laughs> okay, Eric, how about you? Um, first, 
thank you for creating this podcast. Uh, you two are two of my favorite people to think at the level that I tend not to talk at, at other people for fear of either distracting them or confusing them or sounding like a lunatic. So this is a really awesome container. Thank you. And Hallie, thank you for bringing the feminine energy already. Because if he would have asked me directly, be like, I'm fucking great. Everything's fucking awesome. Let's go. (laughs) You know, I think that the thing that you're touching on is one of the most important things that I find I'm constantly repeating to people that I'm, you know, quote unquote coaching or whatever, is that the best place to teach from is where you're at. And the best place to teach or the best way to teach is to just share your story. And you intuitively know that, found that, and now you're here, gang, gang. So that's dope. Um, the truth of where I'm at right now is I feel like I am in my Dharma right now. I'm sure that we'll talk about that more, but, um, I'm in the process of writing the book with Aubrey and I'm the quote unquote research writer. And basically I'm getting paid to do what I would have done in graduate school to pay a university to allow me to do, which it feels like I'm getting to write my dissertation on the psyche and it feels like this is what I was meant to be this is what I was made for even though it's hard many mornings when I'm looking at all the symbols and all the words and I can't see what the fuck it's trying to tell me but I feel really good just showing up every day for four to five hours with my phone on airplane mode and just giving it my fucking best And then trying to be a person the rest of the day, like I find that as I'm really starting to dive into myself, that there's this level that I'm thinking at that's like so fine and like fine as in like precise that I almost have to remember how to meet people in the collective ego space that we're in and like run the program of being Eric. But it's awesome. It feels like I'm really in the flow of what it is that I'm meant to do. And therefore, the rest of my life feels perfect. I love it. It's, it's a funny balance for me. It's like, all right, I'm deep in my shit right now. I'm working through it. Also, how do I not make the first words I say to the person at the grocery store astral projection? <laughs> like, how do, I, <laughs> how do I keep this balance here that I don't just fucking right off the bat get someone going, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a beautiful segue, Eric, for what I think our starting topic is going to be today. So this, this idea came about for me when I was thinking, you know, I get to do a lot of podcasts where I really interview people and I get really deep on their personal story and who they are, but I don't get to do enough podcasts where I get to get really deep on a single topic or a single idea even. And the idea of today is let's go deep on story the idea of story and the idea of the stories we tell ourselves so i guess perhaps hallie if you want to start what are some of the stories you're currently telling yourself and then just we'll riff from there Mm. or can i offer a side potential asterisk question yes what do you think stories are Mm. I think stories are the way we make meaning of what's happening to us um, on a very basic level. And the, as, as I've gone deeper and deeper into this, you know, through plant medicine work and all of this, part of me misses the time where I didn't know that I was creating stories about everything. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I was like, no, 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 like this is just this is just reality. Like this is what's happening. Um, like that person did this or this or that. And then when you kind of start to unbundle the threads of all that, and you realize that all of your feelings are based around the narrative you're telling yourself, it's sometimes for me personally deeply uncomfortable because yeah. I am I'm now in the recognition that like oh you feel like shit today well like what stories are you are you telling yourself yeah. and for people when you're going through like a mood of anxiety or depression yet you pair that with the awareness that like somehow I'm creating this maybe I'm you know letting unhelpful thoughts slip across the threshold of my mind or whatever and it's gaining momentum it feels like a lot of responsibility and it can be kind of crushing too. Yeah. Like you've read all the materials, you have all the tools. Okay. You know, um, positive thought, like affirmations and mantras and law of attraction. And when you're not feeling it, you're like, dude, though, I'm not like, I don't know how to get myself back on track. So those, those two things are marrying in like a really interesting way in my life right now. And part of what I'm doing is I'm also writing my book. Um, I'm about 40 or 50,000 words in. I started a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bruh. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, part of this process for me has been, and I've said this before on my podcast, but journaling, Eric knows this has been a very, very big part of my life. I think I maybe mentioned this on our episode together before Alex and I've been keeping these diaries, um, since I was eight. And I've never really in a comprehensive way gone back and read through every single one. And part of writing my book is doing that. So I think that the, the pain that I'm currently experiencing is sort of having the bravery to reface all of my traumas, all of the stories that I told with my current awareness now. And some of the things that, I, that I'm reading break my heart. And, and yet I feel so separate from it. Like it feels like it happened to a different person. I've just grown so much since then, but even, um, stories I told about relationships and, you know, guys I hooked up with in the past or kind of my trying to sense make about what their decisions were. And I'm now reading it going, Oh girl, can't you see what he was doing? You like, and it's like, Oh, it's like, and I said this to, um, I'm staying with our friend Heather right now in uh, Charleston, South, South Carolina. And I said to Heather, I was like, oh, it's like, it's like watching a bad movie or like a horror movie where there's someone around the corner with a knife and you're like, no, don't go that way. Like that's me reading my own life right now. I was like, no, don't do it. Don't, no, don't you see? And so a lot has been coming up for me in this process of being like, wow, I've been reading these stories my whole life. We all have. And now is the time to be accountable to them. Mm. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I, I fucking love that. And a couple of things pop up in my head uh, when I was listening to you. The first one is it can be crushing to bear the burden of the responsibility knowing that you are always telling yourself stories. Mm. And one of the things that popped up when I heard you going through the things that could potentially like help relieve that pressure or to change the story um were all things that engage the mind more and the right. thing that popped up is like 
it seems to be that the most healing and addictive psychological state that humans can get in is flow. And one of the hallmarks of flow is that the storytelling part deactivates. Mm -hmm. The default mode network just for maybe an hour just turns the fuck off. And um, as your friend, the thing that popped up is like, what are the things that give you flow? And that when you feel the burden of the story making thing, just turn that bitch off by fucking mm -hmm. going on a walk or going on a run or doing whatever it is that gives you flow. Um, so that was the first thing that popped up. The other thing that popped up is because I've been researching so much into essentially um, ceremonial magic and esoteric practices and like really trying to look at what were they actually fucking doing? Um, not all the stories that get told on YouTube conspiracy fucking clips, but like, what were these humans actually doing and why was it so important to them? And really what it comes down to is doing sets of movements and basically doing behaviors with the body in an intentional way within the container of a ceremony to change consciousness. Like that really seems to be the core of what is going on. And when I listen to what you're doing with your book, you are going through a ceremony right now that you have created where it's almost like what, um, what is that story by Dickens about the person that where Scrooge has to go like review the choices that he's made. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. You are literally doing what the archetype of that movie is like you are calling in a guardian angel. Mm -hmm. that is the thing that has called you to write your entire life. The and ghost of Hallie passed. Exactly. <laughs> and instead of you having to like die, yeah. except for on one level you are dying, you get to review the thing that you've been with the awareness that you have now and you can start to see the stories that have made you and then you get to radically change them. And I'm just riffing now, but what if the Dickens novel is a insight and or consciously or unconsciously, it's an expression of how to go through a ceremony that radically changes the way you live the rest of your life because you have to die to your past. Mm -hmm. You're fucking doing that ceremony. Yeah. And I think it's, it's perfect because to curtail off that, what you asked me, what makes me feel in flow? Well, it's creating. And so here's the interesting thing when in my personal experience when i've been in a state of depression it's really hard to create like it doesn't flow very well so doing the book is like kind of the closest i can get right now to creating and yeah, yeah i just i just feel like you're right all of the things that i normally do like the mantras and it, it's more doing and you and i have talked about this before it's like it's hard to get yourself to stop doing and just be yeah. in the feelings. And when yeah. I unpacked that a little bit deeper, I was like, okay, Hallie, so you have this addiction to doing, you're wanting these feelings to go away. It's been like eight weeks now. And you're like, how much sitting with it can I do? Like, yeah, I've been sitting with it, but like now I'm getting impatient, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I went into it. And what came up for me was, I was like, what if you just did nothing? Like, what if you just allowed it? And oh my gosh, what if you didn't release a podcast episode for a couple of weeks? And what if you put all those, 
meetings for your company on hold. And I was like, I can't do that. And I was like, well, why? And then what came up was like this visceral fear that it wouldn't get better, it would get worse. Mm. And so there's this thing, it's like, where's that balance? Because I feel that I'm almost being a schoolyard bully to my myself or my brain and like pushing my brain up against the locker it's like you will do your gratitude practice you will be grateful because you know these things are what carve you back into a space of of equanimity and yet it just feels like so forced so I've been like dancing in and out of the shadows and of course like right now currently I'm just coming out of my moon time and it was like this crazy Scorpio moon with like landing on the full moon and on my personal feminine menstrual cycle so i was like like so much coming (laughs) up and um yeah yeah and i mean just to finish up this thought like i was having a really hard day the other day i was just crying a whole bunch and this mental mantra like this word vomit was coming up over and over and it was almost like a prayer and it was like please let this pain have meaning. Please let this pain have meaning because it feels in my body almost unbearable, like almost mm-hmm. too much to take. And the thought that this pain was like meaningless and of my own creation in some way was just like, it was sending me over the edge. So that's where I'm at right now. It's like, how can, how can I let my pain have meaning? And also not in like a doing way, like, okay, it's all okay. And I'm going to alchemize this pain right away. And I'm going to just do more creating. So I look really great on the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> guilty sometimes. Fucking guilty. Yeah. I think what's yeah. so interesting about that. So I was on a call earlier. We were talking about open relationships. And I gave a, a metaphor that I think kind of applies to pain. And that's the metaphor that like anywhere that pain is, is where there's friction. And that friction over time allows you to heat up to a level where you immolate and you're able to break down into a new structure and then sprout anew from that. But as you're experiencing the pain, it's this feeling of just like, okay, maybe I should just go towards, and I even do this myself with meditation where like, oftentimes I have to catch myself because I am opting into meditation as a really, really good tool for me to clear my mind completely and avoid pain. It's like, fuck, meditation too? Like that's supposed to be the the self-analysis tool where I can get better with myself. But sometimes I have to choose this. Like, I'm just going to literally sit with this emotion. And I've been doing a sober May challenge here, which is interesting. No, no microdosing, no, no coffee, no, no crotum, no, nothing. And as those negative emotions start to arise for me, there's been just a lot of emotional pain to deal with around stories that I've told myself around what I need to perform, what I need to be enough. And it's fun to sit with those, not fun, but it's fun to see the result of sitting with those come out the other end of like, oh, that was under there? Fuck, you think that would have came up in a plant medicine ceremony, but I guess not. Guess that's still under there. Yeah, the thing that comes up in me in regards to what both of you are saying is it feels on one level um, egoic to admit this, but it's the truth of where I'm at. And, I've, and I know that you two aren't going to judge me. And it's that I've seen the results of having done the painful work enough that now when I am in it, I can feel my soul giggling at the suffering of my ego. And there is never a moment where my ego 
can't hear the giggling of the soul just being like yep good good yeah mm -hmm. and um so like i i love it when i cry i love it when i feel like i i watch in my mind's eye smashing my head against the desk because i'm not understanding what it is i've been reading for the last 20 minutes because i've been doing it for three hours i i can always hear the soul giggling because i have the unshakable faith that every single thing that I do that is hard, especially when I continue doing it after feeling my mind offering the idea of giving up, that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Muhammad Ali has this quote where he's like, I don't count my reps. I count the moment I want to give up and then that's when the workout starts. And I try, you know, in my very masculine way, I apply that to my mind. That the moment it gets hard, this is when it fucking starts. This is where the fucking work is. This is what the fuck it is. I think, um, Eric, that's interesting because, like, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that that in the past has been something that's carry, carried me through. And I'm thinking about people listening to this who don't have that unshakable faith. And like, I wanna ask you like, you've created a story. You've created a story that our suffering has meaning and that you, every time you suffer deep, you get better and it has a purpose. So for some people though, it's like, they're not there. So what, and I wanna know if there was ever in a time, a time in your life where you're like, this suffering has no meaning. 100%. And, and like, how did you, um, gently shift gears in, in that regard yeah so um i 100 percent admit that that is a story that i'm telling myself and there's an implication like so the change was not gentle the change was violent and it came from <laughs> five grams of mushrooms when i was like 20 21 or 22 and up until before that point I was a rational materialist. That was the set of stories that I was inside of. And my suffering had no meaning. It was like, I am a speck on a speck in the void. None of this matters. Humans are fucking just, we have to make up shit in order just to get through the day. Now, uh, I did those five grams of mushrooms and I basically had this, I had an implicit story that if I was just smart enough, I could get outside of the stories. I could get outside of the stories and then I wouldn't be, and then I would be whatever it means to be outside of the stories. And the five grams of mushrooms, what it felt like it showed me viscerally is, nah, bitch, it's an infinite loop. You, as soon as you think you're outside of a story, you're inside of a new story. And uh, the feeling was um, utter hopelessness for a while. And then I ended up running outside barefoot for two hours. And it was one of the greatest things ever. But then I couldn't walk for six days because of how <laughs> torn up my like, calf muscles were. But um, from that moment, there was this feeling of instead of humans just have to make up shit because they can't get through the day. It came down to humans can only exist inside of stories. So what is the best story that I can mm -hmm. tell myself? And through trial and error and reading hundreds of books and writing for years and trying stories out and feeling the suffering and feeling myself trip, I eventually got to the story of 
speak and act your truth and love and whatever happens as a result of that is the best possible thing that can happen and really what stories are is they're experiments about how to be in the world mm. and then your nervous system gives you feedback on whether or not that's the stories give you experiences if you want more of those experiences keep running the story if you don't want more of those experiences the motherfucking call is to transform a story yeah once i got that story and i started running that story i'm like oh, I like what this is doing. This is a good story. And I kept running it. And right now it's, it's, it's my leading story. And it's because the results of it have given me over and over again a deep, deep sense of meaning. And then from that place of meaning coupled with the same neurotic story that we all have, which is I have to do to be loved, that it's allowed me to create a life that I'm really fucking happy with. And so right now it's, the god on my pyramid it's my top story and i just keep running it and i keep getting good results from the experiments so what i think i love in, that yeah go ahead, interesting for all the rational materialists out there because i think there's a really subtle differentiation that actually helps helps a lot here and that's the differentiation between suffering has meaning which is a big idea and the smaller idea, which is perhaps more graspable, of my suffering has meaning to me. When we run that story, because it can be hard to grasp for someone who's just like, suffering has meaning. And someone can go, well, what about the kid in Africa who was two years old? They were born, they had no food, and then they died. It's like, all right, fuck. <laughs> That's a tough sell. Maybe that suffering doesn't have any meaning. But I can leverage the story that my suffering in my life has meaning for me and my personal growth. Cause you can look back it's reference points. Like I look back at the reference points in my life and guess what? That is the case. Every time I've suffered, I come out the other side with new understandings. I come out the side other side with new ways of being in the world and things get better. Amen. Yeah. So it, I mean, it sounds like kind of what we were saying before is it's like a conscious choice. And it sounds like you came to the place of being like, well, I could be spinning some grand illusion for myself, uh, but that makes me more comfortable, like going through my life, because ultimately I don't know. I mean, maybe I have an existential, existential sense, but we don't know what happens when we die. And it's like, do I want to live in suffering or not? Um, it's kind of like, in a way, choosing to put on those rose-colored glasses, but like being fine with it, being like, well, at least I'm choosing this. Like I'm conscious that I'm choosing to view my entire experience through this, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, the thing that comes up in me is like, you know whether or not you're, so I think there's a difference between an optimist and an alchemist. And I feel like if you're being optimistic, there's a part of you almost inherent in the definition of optimism where there's a part of you that's like, bitch, I don't buy it. I hear what you're telling me, I don't buy it. Whereas an alchemist, I think that that's really doing what optimism is trying to do. And an alchemist is like, it's telling yourself the story in a way where there's not a single part inside of me that can call shit or can call bullshit on the story that I just said. Like the king in me has to convince everyone in the throne room that this is meaningful. And like, I really see it as alchemy in the sense of 
so I've, I've painted a, a huge romantic story for my ego because, you know, I have to get an umbrella large enough to cover this huge thing. But the story on one level is every person on this planet has a potential version of themselves that if they manifested, if they really manifested 100% of what they could be, they would be a legend greater than Jesus. I, I sincerely believe every nervous system has that capability and most people are operating at like 3%, maybe we're at four. Like what we could be is that big, I truly believe it. And I am happy to sit in the fire of my suffering if I truly believe that it's helping me to create that version of myself for the collective. Because I think that one of the stories I tell myself is what life is on one level is there's 8 billion kids on a beach and they're all making sandcastles and there is a tsunami coming and the tsunami is entropy. No one knows what exists on the other side of that wave, but people are really fucking invested in these sandcastles and they're creating so much suffering for themselves, comparing their sandcastle, being upset at themselves for how they're building their sandcastle. And I seek to be in the way, to be in the world in such a way that the sandcastle I make inspires the people who can see it. But then the people who are making their sandcastles around me enjoy being around me. And that that's the best that I can do non-locally for that part of the beach before the tsunami comes. And um, it seems to be the fate of the human condition that if you are inside of a body, you are inside of stories. And so what is the dopest story that you can tell yourself to, to give yourself the dopest possible life and then to reduce the greatest amount of suffering for the people that you come into contact with? I want to pose a question to the two of you. Um, because what you were saying, Eric, about the 3%, like all of us using 3% of our potential, maybe some of us using 4 it's like, yes. Like my, my inner goddess was being like, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And there's sometimes this story that I wrestle with that is like, I'm afraid of my own power. Like when you get to a certain level of this self, this discovery and you played with the psychedelics and you're like, oh shit, I really could create anything. The world is right there for me. For me, when I get into these periods of maybe feeling a little bit down, it's like, but for what? Like, why? Like, I, I feel like, you know, again, this is like maybe sounding egoic to, to say, but I'm like, I know how to manipulate this whole game to get whatever money, power, relationships, like, ugh, that's ugly. Like, mm -hmm. oh, God, like, I want to be good. Like, I want to be someone who does stuff for good, but I know how to be bad if I want to. And mm -hmm. it's like, Holy shit. And, and that kind of brings me back too to Alex, what you were saying about um, joking about talking about astral travel in the grocery store. I went to Envision Festival this year and I had a friend of mine ask me, because I was straight out of three months working with ayahuasca. And he was like, wow, you're different. And he's like, don't you worry that you're, you're able to interact with like fewer and fewer people? the deeper you go, like you can relate to actually less people because, you know, there's just like what Eric, what you were saying too about writing the book and then trying to come out and re be like, oh yeah, how do I like talk to other people? 
So I, I want to pose this to you, like, are, are you guys ever afraid of your own power? And how do you sort of mitigate that and knit mm. that into your world? That's interesting. So I think two things. First, to navigate the question of being able to relate with less and less people. I think it's a funnel and then it opens up into everything. So easy example, look at Ram Dass. Do you think you could put any motherfucker on the earth in front of Ram Dass and he wouldn't be able to relate to them? So I think it gets really narrow and then it opens back up out into this like beautiful acceptance and love of everyone and ability to connect and to really see who each person is in front of you. For me, I had this interesting experience. So I think you've both listened to some of my 7.5 gram mushroom journey experience. Whole thing. <laughs> and I had this experience at the end where I essentially dissolved into what was God. And as I was doing this, it was like I was tugging on strings of reality and things were shifting as a result. And it was almost like glitches in the matrix were happening. It was fucking just like, all right, here we are. And there was this, this sense of awe and this sense of kind of fear a little bit. And this was more after I started to come out of it, like, oh shit, what if I fuck something up? Like if I become all powerful, what if I fuck something up? What if I ruin things? And I think for me, it comes down to a fundamental story that I tell myself now, which is the story that as long as I navigate as best I can towards what I believe to be most true, it is only through deceit, both of myself and of others around me, that I put myself into a space of lack of love from which I could do true and lasting harm to those around me. So it's like navigating that, like, if I can stay on the path of truth, that allows me to then operate with love towards all around me. It's only when I get knocked a sky off that and I'm off on the side of the road and I'm stuck in the weeds and I can't see what I'm supposed to be doing. That's when I act out of fear, judgment, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the moments where I really fear like, well, what if I'm, what if I'm president of the United States and I'm in that position? Like, fuck, that's scary. So it's like, how can I day to day break it down to navigating back towards my truth. I agree completely. And uh, to answer your, your question, Hallie, um, what I saw was the deeper question and what you were saying is when it gets really hard, I ask myself, well, what's this all for? And I think you have to answer that question first. And for me, I feel like I've been blessed enough to go through psychedelic experiences that weren't as harmful or weren't as hard as they could have been, but were hard enough to deeply, deeply connect me to the fact that there are billions of people who are suffering and that the suffering could be dramatically reduced if they heard one good story. And because I can feel the collective suffering in my lowest moments, like it's, I, I never have the story of, um, or I'd never even hear any part of me ask, well, what's this all for? And it feels like it's because I've, I've dug the roots of suffering deep enough that that is an unwavering why, no matter what is happening. And the opposite side of that is that I truly believe that I'm being witnessed by God every day. And so when it gets really hard, 
I feel like God is watching how I respond and how I respond has the potential to help the collective. And so with those two poles, even when I go through my personal depressions or when I weep about something, that's why there's that part of me that giggles. Cause it's like, you know what this is for, you know why you've said yes, you know why you are not going to give up as long as your, as long as your body takes breath and that you know that you can create art from this. And so there is always an excitement somewhere on the periphery of my weeping, of my suffering, of my pain, but I, I don't ever have apathy anymore. And I think that that's where the roots have settled. And so, but to answer the question that you posed, the only thing that I'm afraid of when it comes to like my power is my ability for self-delusion and then my pride slash, yeah, and, and then pride. Um, the thing that was made really clear to me as a child from reading Greek mythology is that the highest sin is man's or, or humanity's pride to think that they're greater than the gods, that everything else is okay. Like if you read those Greek myths, everything else is okay. Mm -hmm. But as soon as a mortal proclaims that they're greater than a god at anything, they get fucking decimated. So the two things that I fear and it's, it's not so much fear because I have this unshakable, maybe self-delusional faith, but it's more of, I'm keeping my eye on my, and that's why I always talk about how big my ego is. Cause it's one of the ways that I can keep my eye on that motherfucker. Like I'm watching you. And so I'm watching for the pride and then I'm watching for the self-delusion, which I think comes down to all of us here on, on this podcast. Be, and it's because it, it's why we have podcasts. We have the ability to use language to manipulate others in the world to get what we want. And I'm constantly watching, like, is that really my truth? Or am I weaving a beautiful story with my words to get what the fuck I want? Like, I actually had a dream last night that um, is interesting, that touches on this point. I was watching myself from a third vantage point talk to a girl that I know. And I could see my eyes and I could see the intensity of the eye contact that I make that I'm not even aware that I'm making. And then I watch the way that I speak. And I had this feeling in myself of um, slight fear of like, whoa, you're charming. Like you're, you're able to fucking people. Create a time warp. And then it's, it's almost like I could see inside of my mind that my mind could see that as I was speaking to this woman, my friend who was a male was getting jealous and that without me thinking, I, I chose to give him a piece of gum that I could tell was the program of make him less upset. And so there was this part of me that's like, you motherfucker, <laughs> you, you manipulate, you know? And, but I think we all manipulate and that manipulates the wrong word. We are all magicians. And everyone is trying their motherfucking best to magic the environment around them to produce the experiences that they want. And so the two things that I'm always keeping my eye on is my pride and how am I, what is my relationship to my truth? 
And as long as I can stay between those two poles, uh, I'm not afraid of how big I can get. Hmm. So what I find like really, <laughs> it's funny. I think we probably, you'll, you both will probably resonate with this, but a question I've had to start asking myself is what was my truth at the time I made that decision versus how fucking good I am at spinning a story after the fact about why I did something. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the dip, most difficult to grasp pieces of truth for me, it's easy to know if I'm talking to someone like, should I say this? What do I believe? But when I try to make a story around why I made a decision I made, mm, the ego gets really slippery there because it's, well, you did that because you had a hard day and you deserved some pizza. You deserved this and you did these five things last week. And it's like, okay, maybe fair enough. But in the moment, what was the decision I made? Well, in the moment, I felt sad, so I ordered pizza. Oh, that's a lot different. <laughs> that's a much different story that I was running than what I tried to tell myself after the fact. Yeah. Boom. Howie? What's up? Yeah, no. Um, the, the pizza thing's interesting because actually what I was just thinking was like, is it okay to order pizza? and like just be sad and be like oh yeah like whether you have the awareness before or after like can we allow ourselves that does it always have to, this is this is another thing i've been playing with because i work with this coach and um she does like some past life regression stuff and i had this past life come up for me and you know like whatever your beliefs are people listening to this whether you think past lives or whatever everything's happening simultaneously Truly for me, ultimately, it doesn't even matter. It's like this image, this archetype came up and it was real for me in that moment and it had something to say. So whether I actually lived that past life as a monk, which is what it was, um, or you know, it was just some kind of fantasy that was playing out in my mind, it felt so fucking real. And so what happened was like, we were working together. Um, we kind of go into these energetic meditations together and identify blockages within my body and, and muscle testing and stuff like that. And I just have these huge emotional releases. And what came up was I saw myself as like a friar, you know, with like bald, like the shaved head. And I was in these like heavy brown robes. And I was wearing, um, almost reminds me of that book slash movie, The Da Vinci Code. There's a character in there who does all this like wrapping straps around his body and um like he wears this belt that has these steel kind of hooks in them and he tightens it around his waist till he bleeds and the, the sensation of this past life was um i gave up everything right like all the material i gave up everything for god and and it was very solemn and somber and there wasn't a lot of play in this lifetime because i was in utter service to what I believed was the truth. And in that lifetime, that was the story. Like I believed that this was the way to God and this was the only way to God. And I was speaking out loud to her and she was like, how, you know, to my coach. And she was like, how did you, what did you realize? How did you feel at the end of that lifetime? And I was like, I realized I wasted an entire life thinking I believed I was doing what God wanted and it wasn't what God wanted at all. And there was this grief that erupted from my chest of 
like suffering and like giving myself lashings and denying myself because that was going to bring me closer to God. And it was just this pool of suffering. So to realize that and to recognize that as like a, a pattern that I'm feeling reverberations of like things have to be hard because of course that's where the growth is. And like, that's where the beauty is, is like, oh yeah, I'm going to grow from this. And that's why I was curious about, you know, this whole concept of the stories that we tell because like is it okay to just get yourself a pizza and is it okay to just weave that story that like hey you know what buddy you do deserve it because life is not supposed to be hard all the time and just like keep an eye on it because if you're fucking ordering pizzas every weekend then like okay there's something there but like if we can bring the awareness to it I think that there's something else that is the God within ourselves that really just opens up yeah, the thing that comes up, and um, I'm, I'm passionate about this because I think that this is a place that a lot of people are dancing with. And when you ask the question, is it okay to eat that slice of pizza? That's a deeper question. And it's, is what I am doing, is it okay? And nobody in this world can answer that question other than you. And I think the game that's going on inside of us is we have the ego story which is a hypothesis and then we hear this whisper and the whisper is coming from our god inside of us which is a fraction of the total god because total god don't give a fuck everything is god everything is god period but there's a fraction of that totality inside each of us that i think people call the soul or the genius or the daemon and that thing is whispering to you only to you and that thing is giving you feedback on what you are choosing to do right now. And I think it's more, it's not about what's right and wrong. It's about what is the song that I hear in me? And when I listen to it, how do I dance? Like maybe your God is you go have orgies and you just fucking go deep into orgies and you eat the most delicious okay. food. Okay. Cool. <laughs> no, tap into that reality for real 100 percent. like everyone seems to be a specific instrument of unicity and it's it's about finding what is your your way no one else can answer it for you everyone else at best can echo to you theirs but there is a whisper that will tell you is it okay to eat pizza mm then it's the ego stories that respond to that whisper in you. And I think it's about like the beauty of this life on one level is how gracefully can I dance to my song? My song. Yeah. And, and what else came up for me around, like you were saying, there's no right and wrong with the pizza. It's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of the mood of it. And, the same activity can be whatever, a helpful or unhelpful choice for you in the moment, but it's about pattern interrupting. So for me, if I'm a person who's like, no, I'm always doing the smoothie and I'm always gonna do this and I'm never gonna order pizza. And so I think about pizza and I'm like, no, you're not gonna order the pizza. Actually, the pattern interruption for me would be like, you know what, Hal, eat some pizza, you know, eat some pizza. And, but if I'm a person, yeah, if I'm a person who's like always doing that to like cover their pain and they're like, I should be eating the smoothies and I'm not, it's like, okay, well, that's a different thing. So I think maybe Eric, that's like sort of what you're touching on is like, 
only you can know the truth of what is love in the decision. Ultimately, that looks different for every single one of us. What is love for you in that current decision at any given time? I think where the the ego, like, so here's the sticking point for me. And I think a lot of people have this sticking point. The point of failure for me is not the moment where I order the pizza. The point of failure is a day later when I've told myself a story about why I deserved the pizza, when I knew in the moment that I didn't deserve it. That's the, that's the break point for me because that's what creates the self-perpetuating cycle of, oh, I always deserve pizza. When we can acknowledge a moment of weakness, or even if it wasn't weakness, even if it was just embracing, like, it's fucking pizza time, motherfuckers. Let's do this. Yeah. We can acknowledge that and then look at it with the lens of truth and not deceive ourselves about what the fuck was happening in that moment. Yeah. then it naturally causes the cycle to not repeat in the same sort of vicious way it can when we just, we tell ourselves a lie. Mm, well, I went to my fifth orgy this week because I just really love orgies and not because there's any deep connection missing in my life that I'm trying to fill a hole with. Yeah. So a, th- a thing that pops up that um, has been coming up in my mind recently is if you look at the language that you used when you were saying like the failure for me, like, Failure implies a finite game that has an endpoint and then it's done. And then saying, I deserved it. I think both of those are frames that can be molded. And there's an amazing book that I've been getting really into. It's like reading the Tao Te Ching and it's called Finite and Infinite Games. And the idea, like one of the core ideas is everyone is trying to play finite games and finite games have endings. And it's only within the context of a story of a finite game that you can fail. But your life is an infinite game. And what an infinite, so a finite game seeks to end the game so there's a winner. Infinite games are, the goal of the game is to continue the game. And then when you see it like that, like the way that I see it is my life is a dance and the music never stops. And when I do something wrong or when I do something bad, it's my body feeling, oh, I just missed a beat. The, but the dance, or the dance doesn't stop because you can't stop time. And so all I can do is, okay, I'm off. How can I bring myself back? Oh, I'm off. How can I bring myself back? And there is no nouning. There are no nouns in this. It's all a verbing. And it gives me compassion for myself to know or to tell myself the story. I'm a God consciousness embedded in a monkey the monkey has all these fucking things happening inside of it but it seems to be that the quality of my life is the result of well it's kind of like this okay i'm this god consciousness embedded inside of this monkey oh i I feel all these things inside of this monkey and eventually you get to a point where you're like there's a song somewhere and then you slowly start to move the body and you're like oh, my body feels way better when I listen to the song. And then you get out of it and like, oh, I don't feel good. Oh, there's a song. And then it's just about like, oh, wow, this thing feels the best when I'm in the fucking song. And then it's about how much of my life can I be in the song until the meat soup gets eaten by time. Hmm. So the reframe that I'm trying to offer is like, there is no failing because to fail is a finite game. Your life is an infinite game. And so it's about 
dancing as opposed to you did it wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I like the dancing analogy because it brings up something really concrete in me, actually, literally about dancing, but also metaphorically. Always so, metaphorically. <laughs> always metaphorically. Everything I say is a metaphor. Even if it doesn't make sense, it's just that it was too deep and you didn't get it and not that I'm bad at communicating. Hashtag <laughs> um, woke. Hashtag woke. Um, so the question I ask myself and what happened last year at that first ecstatic dance in Austin. So I've always been a sort of the type of dancer where I knew I wasn't very good at dancing. So I'd make it really silly and funny and kind of fun, but I was never really trying to dance Yep. because I was like, Ooh, I'm fucking bad at dancing. That's an insight into most humor. Anyways, go on. Exactly. <laughs> um, so in Austin, we did the exact dance and I just like broke out and I was like, Oh wait, what's this? What's within me? Is this me being kind of good at dancing or at least, really sending it fully and fucking not like playing a game with myself. And I think that has such a corollary to the way we often live our lives. We get caught in one of the two loops. It's either afraid of our own power, one loop, or afraid that we're going to fucking suck so bad (laughs) that we just never try because you can't fail by the outside metric air quotes if you don't try, or at least that's the thought process. But it's interesting that, when we break out of that loop, it doesn't take much for me to be like, oh, just the trying and improving felt really good. Huh. And the thing that pops up is that to be good at dancing is to literally just to feel what the truth is in your body Hmm. and to not get in its way. Like every fucking baby on this planet is good at dancing because they don't think about dancing. Their body responds to the music and they dance. And the thing about people is like, we all love that weird person that we can tell they're just fucking dancing to their own goddamn song. And there's something inherently inspiring about that. And inspiration is one of the ways that I think that song tries to get through our fucking head. Like when you're inspired, it's because the God inside of you just saw another human act in a way where you're like, that's a dance move to this song. And then you try it and then you feel it. And I think that envy is the opposite side of that. That envy is still the whisper being like, look, look. And envy is the ego being like, oh, I can't do that, you know? And I think one of the ways that the whispers comes through is inspiration. And when people like, literally when people dance, especially if you can tell that, whoa, they don't have formal training, but they're just fucking getting it and you can feel that they're all the way into their body you love them and you don't even know them and you can't help but love them you seen that video of the guy he's on the side of a hill in a fucking music festival yeah he's just fucking getting after it and as he's getting after it everyone's kind of at first they're looking at him like haha what's this guy doing what the fuck but then like one person goes over and joins and then two people And then all of a sudden, there's this whole fucking mass of people just dancing around this dude who is dancing objectively quite terribly. But people respected that just like he was fully sending it. He wasn't judging himself at all. He was fully in it. And we we as humans have like, we have a fucking sense for that. You can sense when someone is with you and they're being 100%. 
And the thing about that video that I love so fucking much is the person who spoke over it. He, he, he nailed it. The most important person is not the crazy person that started. It's the first follower. Mm-hmm. It's the first person in the sea of people projecting their fear onto this person being authentic and that they're like, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to fucking. And then that gives everyone else permission because as soon as there's two, it gives people this felt sense of, okay, maybe that's not crazy. And I think it's just such a cool idea, but I think that that's the core of why the meaning never leaves me is that I truly believe that if we can just get like two to 3% of the world into this adaptive story where their true self is spilling out of them like a fucking river that a cascade effect is going to start. And I feel like we're just on the precipice, but that's one of my stories. Coronavirus of positivity. (laughs) So I love that. So let's talk about a different story here. Let's talk about the story of depression and what the fuck people can do maybe to break out of that story and any personal experiences you both have had with it. I certainly have had my own, but Hallie, if you want to jump in first. Yeah, I've had, um, I've been blessed with many dances with depression. (laughs) And every time I go into it, I learn more. I've taken extensive notes, like thousands and thousands and thousands of words when I'm in depression, I will write about what it feels like, how I'm learning to carve my way out, what kinds of things are working, what kinds of things are not. And I've literally left myself in these pages like a manual for how to get out every single time. And one of the most important things that I've learned is that your emotions are indicators for whether or not you are in alignment or not. Could not agree more. And the emotions are connected to your thoughts, yes. So if you can reprogram your thoughts, you can start to feel some relief uh, with, with your emotions. But what is most important is that you feel good. And for a lot of people, well, that's hard. I mean, I think most all of us in society are programmed that like, we're not supposed to put ourselves first. That's selfish. But really, it's kind of what Eric was saying about your song, like, like finding your song, dancing it, singing it, and like unapologetically being there. It's like when we're feeling negative emotions, we're denying ourselves that song. And like not to beat the pizza over the head, but to bring that back, it's like, all right, I can enjoy a piece of pizza and it can be in alignment. And I can be like eating the cheese and like letting it drip all over me and being like, but yeah, this is great. And I won't have that shame um, that somebody else might have a couple days later. You know what I mean? Because it comes back to like self-love. Ultimately, it's like, oh, I didn't deserve that pizza. You know, use the word deserve. It's like, no, Alex, you always deserve that slice of pizza. But the truth of who you are knows that sometimes when you eat a lot of pizza, you feel like garbage. Because mm. really what makes you feel better is when you're eating healthy whole foods. So that, that is where there's a, an invitation for adjustment, I think, for most of us. So yeah, that's, that's number one thing that I've learned is when my emotions, again, are, are intense, um, 
I recognize them as an opportunity, as a compass for bringing me back home to myself. Hmm. Fucking love that. Alex, you want to go? Sure. Man, I think a couple things. So, hi, suicide attempt survivor. It's me, Alex. It's your boy. Um, I don't think I've actually talked about that on the podcast, but when I was 16 or 7, when I was 16, I, it's funny how even the ego of me right now wants to classify like different types of suicide attempts and wants to classify this as like, well, I wasn't that serious about it. But I think as I tap into the pain of that moment, it was more of a general feeling of I'm going to eat these 25 ibuprofen and whatever happens, happens. Less of a, I want to die for sure. And more of a, whatever, we'll see what happens. As I tap into that moment, I think there's something that can be difficult to hear for someone that is perhaps in the depression, but is useful to think about as a framework around the depression. And that is that there really is not a lot of things more selfish than depression. You are closed down. You are no longer providing your gift to the world. You are considering taking your own life to end your own suffering and therefore shift your suffering onto everyone around you rather than you trying to fix your suffering in a different way. And I just remember coming out of that and just being like, wow, I can't believe that I, and it was, you know, at that age, like it was about a girl, blah, 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 blah. It's always about a girl or a guy. At that age, especially. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember feeling so like almost silly afterwards, like embarrassed a little bit. Like I can't believe I allowed myself to, get so out of tune that that became an option. Yeah. And Hallie, to your point, which I think is one of the most important points is like, these are indicators. And I was getting a signal long before that moment, but I was ignoring it because a part of the, a part of me wanted to suffer. A part of me was attached to, Oh, woe is me. I got cheated on. It's the end of the world. I deserve this. And look how miserable I am. Maybe people will take pity on me. But as I engaged with that for a longer and longer period of time, those thoughts became more ingrained, more real, and it led up to that culmination moment. So it's like I wasn't in tune with what I was really feeling. I was just running an unconscious program, playing it through over and over and over again until I got to a breaking point. And I'm glad that it tipped to the side of the scale that it did tip to, but it's for me now, as I have my much fewer, but occasional bouts where I'm just kind of depressed. It's like, can I tap into what I'm truly feeling in this moment and what it's trying to tell me? Cause that is where the growth is, but it's also where the end to the suffering that I am feeling is it's in the truth of my emotions in that moment. Eric, what you got? Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I've been playing with this every day for four hours for the last two weeks. So I might vomit on you guys, but you two are the best people to help pick up my vomit and see if there's anything in there. Okay. There's pizza in here. Hey. <laughs> so depression is a word that we have used to label a set of experiences. The totality of your life is your experience. There is literally nothing that you can experience outside of your experiences. So this is what we got. Our nervous system creates our experiences. Depression seems to be when 
So th this is why it's vomit because I don't know how to connect all the pieces. So stories are essentially your psychic limbs that are engaging with the world. And the world will give you feedback on whether or not that story is effective. And when the story isn't effective, you start to feel things in your body that we would classify as bad emotions. But they're literally indicators that this branch, the way it's stretching out, it's not working. And depression seems to be when we've gotten enough feedback on one of our branches where we now know this branch has to die. Something, one of our stories has to die. And depression seems to be when the ego is like, no, no, I'm not killing it. I'm, and the world is continuing to give you feedback on that limb is not working. And what our culture tells us through its stories around antidepressants is that instead of going through a transformation process that would allow you to let that story die so a new story could grow, we're going to numb the thing that is giving you the feedback which is your nervous system, which is telling you that story is not working in the world. And it seems to be that the way through is experiences that we would call, that we would call ceremonies that provide a container for transformation, which has been what has been used in past cultures as initiation rituals. And because we don't have a cultural container that gives people potent initiation rituals to help them allow stories to die, our psyches have to create those things for ourselves. And I think people literalize the feeling that something needs to die to act out killing themselves when that is the truth of the way forward, but it's psychological death. And the metaphor that keeps coming up in me, which is a gruesome one and one that I almost don't feel like I can use in my writing, but I will and I will offer the caveat, is it feels like a pregnant woman who's in the ninth month who now knows that the baby is dead, but she still has to give birth to it. And I think that's the thing that is most missed in the depression quote unquote equation is you have to feel giving birth to the dead story. And those are the emotions that I think people are spending their entire lives running from having to actually feel into the depths of the death of that story to the point where they can actually give birth to it out of their body so that they can now make a new story. And so I think depression is that word vomit that I just did. I love that. Let me touch on that and tie it in directly to the story that I experienced because I think there's a really, really good and useful parallel there. <sighs> how can I how can I parse this? So the thing that I was experiencing in that moment of depression, in that time of depression, was that I was unwilling to let one story die. And as a result, I was telling myself a different story. So the story I was telling myself was, I'm miserable, I'm worthless because this happened to me. I can't believe that I fucked up so badly and I'm so terrible that this person cheated on me. I was avoiding the story because I think it was even to my young 
partially formed brain, the story that I didn't want to look at, but had to look at in the end was that, no, I gave my best effort at that time. And that person just didn't have the same set of morals and values that I have. And that was more painful to me because I like had to, the moment I admit that's possible, which like, duh, but like the moment I admit that's possible, it opens a whole new world of pain and potential suffering out in the universe rather than I think even at that age, what my impulse was, which is let me take this on myself and figure out what I can do better. Right. And the thing that I want to share real quick that I think is super important, which is something that's been coming up in people that I've been speaking to lately in like the coaching context is that most of us have this story that we believe if I just do it good enough, I get what I want. And that seems to be a reflection of the childlike understanding that we have of the Christian God, that if you're a good boy or a good girl, God will give you what you want. And I totally can see how changing that story, which would fundamentally change the way the whole world looks and would make it scarier. And that the new story that would have to give birth in place of that is I can do my best and still suffer deeply. Mm. Oh shit. shit. This thing <laughs> is different than what I thought it was. And what's beautiful is that when a story dies, what that means to you is that you have an opportunity to see the truth of existence a little bit more clearly. And the reason, one of the reasons I have the unshakable faith now is I've let a couple of stories die and I've, and I've seen what it's done to my life. And it's like, Oh, when I really suffer deeply, it's because I'm allowing a story to die. And every time I've done that, my life has expanded yeah. and been doper. And this is Jordan Peterson's point, but he, he has the beautiful conception that the bigger the story is in relation to how much of you it composes, the more painful the burning off is going to be. Yeah. And that's what it was in that moment. Like the reason yeah. that was so fucking painful to kill that story was because my entire being was oriented around if I'm kind enough, good enough, and the best I can be, things will go good for me. Yep. That's fucking painful. That was like all of me. I had to kill that all off. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I also think it's a redefinition of what's good for me, you know, because I think that it, it is the, if I'm a good boy, mom gives me her tit. Like, if you really go back down to the motherfucking root, if I'm good, I'll get everything that I want. Whereas um, I think the more mature soul song is, I can only do my best and whatever I get is exactly the next thing I need to face. Everyone breathe that in for a second. That's out there in the world listening, breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, it's so like, I find this in, in many things I do where the, often the problem is not the what's objectively happening. It just is the circumstance that you're painting it out to be. So I'll give an easy example. Like when I've been out at the bar and I see like a pretty girl, I want to walk up and talk to, I go up and I get rejected. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, that hurts. I don't want to talk to anyone else. I want to go home. I want to lick my wounds. And it's funny. Cause it's just like, 
that's feedback. And if I just treated it as such, and this applies to everything, but if I just treated it as such, and like maybe her reaction was super strong, she'd get the fuck away from me, you creep. Thankfully that hasn't happened, knock on wood. But if it did, then it would be a big piece of feedback. Hey, the way you're acting is extremely wrong and you need to choose a better way. But when we don't treat it like feedback, when we just turtle up and get, ooh, that hurt. I'm going to run away from it. That's when the problem starts. If you treat it as feedback, man, you'll get better. The next person you talk to, you go, ooh, that person didn't like when I walked up directly behind them and tapped them <laughs> on the head. Hmm. Weird how they would feel threatened by that. Yeah. Shocking. And Taking the feedback. The thing that comes up when I hear that is I know both of you have had experiences with psychedelics where you have experienced the visceral truth that the true essence of what you are is an unperturbable awareness that's never been harmed that's never been afraid that's never been angry or happy or sad it is the thing that witnesses all that thing gets to watch this movie and that thing gets it seems as if it gets to play a part in the unfolding of the movie and the way that i see it on one level is that part of me is holding in its hand this beautiful godlike creature thing that's like this just constantly dancing amoeba like thing and it knows this thing only exists for a little piece of time but if i give my awareness to it while it's in my hands it can potentially be beautiful like and it's it's like the essence of a song is not to play it perfectly it's not to get to the end. It's not to make money. It's to lose yourself in the art of creating the thing at the peak of your ability to create something beautiful. And I think our lives are that. Like, we're going to die. This body is going to be gone. Everything it's ever done will be gone eventually. Every ripple it can possibly make at some point will stop rippling. But we seem to have this one dance, you know, right here, right now. And when it gets hard, that's like, that's your favorite part of movies. Or no, really, it's their response to that part. But like, that's, that adds to the depth of the symphony. You know, like the act where, the, where it gets super sad and you get really low, but then you hear it fucking coming back and coming back and coming back and then it crescendos. And it's just like, yeah, you're just fucking losing it. You know, like our lives are that. And the depth of the suffering adds to the richness. And th there is something beautiful by people who respond heroically to their suffering with humility and then share their stories with us. And like, that's the opportunity that we get. You stunned us into silence again, Eric. It's not fair. <laughs> oh, so here's a thought I just had. Hallie, I want to hear what you think about it. So how do we choose? Because there is a... I think we've all seen people out in the world who are opting into suffering because they feel like they deserve it versus opting into optional challenges shall we say because they feel like they want to test themselves and overcome 
So how have you seen that show up in your life, Hallie? And how do you parse those two as you go through your life? Hmm. Well, what comes up for me right off the bat is that I tend to be a little bit of like a spiritual masochist sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I always choose the hard thing. Like I'm like, okay, we're going to be here with this and we're going to figure it out. And, um, I'm trying something new this time because and touching on what Eric said is like my, my depression feels different this time. It's like um, the feelings are still as intense, but there's an awareness that's there. That's different. And I'm like, Oh now. Okay. Mm, I remember this. I see what's happening. Okay. How? And then I like want to run away from it. And I'm like, just be here, man. Like, just be here. And I notice my mind, my very smart, beautiful, intellectual mind go like, okay, let's see what the symbols are. And like, let's see what the patterns are. And um, sometimes that's not what's needed. Sometimes, and this is the feminine perspective I'm going to bring in, is like, you're not supposed to psychoanalyze yourself. Like, sometimes I just sit there in the depths of my pain and I can see myself trying grasping at try to grasp for threads of meaning or what it could become or oh yeah well now because I'm feeling this low then like someday I'll be have the capacity to love that much deeper and like mm -hmm. isn't that great and then part of me is like no it's not fucking great like I'm so tired of that like I can already love deeper than a lot of people I know yeah. you know like I don't need that like aren't we what? enough yet <laughs> like for what though man like I got it I got the lesson so why am I here and sometimes it's okay to not even understand and that's what I'm being with right now the other night when I was crying on the bathroom floor for five hours trying to be like what is this I was like yeah like just feel it Hmm. just feel it how just allow it you know just you don't have to know buddy you don't have to know it doesn't have to be something special it doesn't have to make you great oh but it hurts so bad it hurts so bad I want it I want to have a reason for this hurting this is hmm. this is and then and then the next piece which is a bit of a stretch but it's the most necessary piece is just sitting there and thanking it. That's it. I just, a wave of pain would come up and I'd say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing me your face. Thank you. And I would want to run away in my mind. And then I would just say, I'm here with you to myself. I'm here with you. I'm here for this. Mm -hmm. That's it. And you know, I went for a walk with our friend Heather. She's so great. And this is another thing, like when, you, when you're in one of these periods, you don't wanna go out, you don't wanna do anything. And so Heather, Heather comes down she's like, come on, we're going, we're, we're going out for a walk. And I was like, no, I, I just, I feel like I kinda just wanna take a nap. And she's like, okay, I hear that. But like, how about just 30 minutes? And, and I, I just 
she came up and hugged me and I just was like, you are such a good friend because you know that this is what I need. Like, you know better than, than I do what I need right now. Mm. And she got me out of the car and she goes, okay, happy music. What's your happy music? And I just like, uh, you know, like I just like rolled my eyes and she's like, all right, Whitney Houston, um, crank it up. And then she's like, windows down. And so she rolled down the windows and she starts driving. And, you know, I'm like a little curmudgeon inside. I'm like, I'm being kidnapped. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm grumpy. And, and Whitney Houston's I want to dance with somebody is blaring. And Heather's driving through the streets of Charleston. And people are out like walking their dogs and stuff. And we're stopping at red lights and she is not turning the radio down. And she's singing and like, it's got me laughing. And I'm just like, I can't help it because like I actually really like that song so like I'm doing this I'm doing that and um you know she takes me to the beautiful waterfront and we sit on this bench and she just lets me talk and again I think that this is this is the feminine and I'm not saying women I'm saying a quality within ourselves that everybody has access to and really important to this topic of depression because I think when we see people we love going through something we want to fix we want to help we want to be of service and this is at least for me why I don't share often with people in my circles because often I feel like I'm the person giving advice right so when you're that person you have a very high standard you have a very very high standard for advice and so it's, it's like it's like agitating to me most of the time when people are giving me advice so I'm like no dude like in my head there's a there's a track going well you're bypassing my feelings and well that's not you know like oh you could have worded that in a better way like there's a critic right so I just try to figure it out myself and sometimes that's that's not neat and so god bless Heather because she brought me to this bench and she just listened she just listened and I was like insecure about how much I was word vomiting and I kept saying oh my god I'm so sorry I literally told her like five different stories of the deepest betrayal that I had ever experienced in my life where I was completely blindsided where my heart was broken where I had people that I was in contact with every day all of a sudden you know in my perception or my weaving of the story just ghost out of my life in these really horrible ways and I was left without any resolution and just trying to figure out like what I had done yet not really feeling like I had done anything and trying to take the standpoint of like, well, that was them. That was them. And that's the thing that I feel like we do a lot is like take this, um, or at least I do is take this spiritual high road where I go, that person's in their process. I get it. I'm doing my dance. They're doing theirs. But in doing so, I think I've, I've done that to the extreme of bypassing a lot of the, the grief and the hurt and the rage that is there. And I try never to talk shit about people. You know, I always just try and do it differently. And on this park bench, I was just like, I'm so angry. Like I have so much rage and I fucking am still so mad at that person. And, and, and it felt good. It felt real good. And I felt like my lower chakras that I'd been kind of cut off from, including like this happens a lot, I think in depression, like your sexuality, all that just gets siphoned off because you're so in your mind. I literally felt myself unblock and the energy just started to flow up through my whole body. And I now had access 
to this vital life force energy that wasn't there before. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of anyone listening to this who has somebody in their circle who is dealing with these feelings on the appropriate ways to help them, to really help them in a way that's actually helpful to them. And if you don't know how to do that, I mean, one way is just by asking that person, what do you need right now? Do you want, do you want to just talk? Or do you want me to talk? Or can I tell you a story? Or can I, do you want to be distracted or do you want to go into this right now? And just allowing whatever they choose to be okay. Hmm. Man, can you imagine if you got to the end of your life and you had never allowed yourself to experience anger, you'd never allowed yourself to experience sadness because you always bypassed the feeling with, well, this is happening for me and da, 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 I'm moving forward. And the thought that came to me, I was on a call the other day where you're we talking about the idea of your funeral. It's like, man, at my funeral, a lot of people will say like, at my funeral, I want everyone to be happy and I want them to celebrate my life. And like, I feel you, I get it, but I think that's a little selfish. <laughs> I want everyone to celebrate me. I want it to be, I was such a light on the world, but it's like what I really want at my funeral is for everyone to fully feel the emotions that come up for them in that moment and to allow that to be whatever it needs to be, whether it's a beautiful celebration of my life or it's the most difficult thing they've ever gone through and it's painful and it hurts, but man, at least my death could be the blessing of a new low point for them so that they can taste all of those fucking sweet highs that they're going to get to experience after that. And it's the same thing with our own emotions. It's like we fucking deny them as if they're not there for a purpose. <laughs> and even if just to show us the opposite end of the spectrum that we want to experience, man, some of the happiest I've ever been is right after a painful conversation. A couple of things come up for me. Um, one is the reason why I think journaling is so incredibly potent for me is that it is the place that I allow my ego to admit what my ego feels without having my soul come in and, you know, tell a different story because that's how you honor like the truth of where you are right now. And it also is what felt like the healing catalyst moment for Hallie in that moment as she was able to express and be witnessed expressing, which I think is one of the most powerful things, the truth of a part of her ego that didn't get the opportunity to be expressed. I really believe that there's some unarticulatable magic that comes from when you manifest a truth in the world through either writing or speaking. And that that magic is multiplied by being witnessed by somebody that you love. It's also why I think poetry is an essential part of the soul's alchemy. There's something inherent about poetry that when you really let anyone get going, it's almost always an ego orgy of their, um, it's almost an ego orgy of what they're feeling. Like when I start to write poetry, it's almost never my soul that starts the poem. It's always my ego lamenting in dramatic form about 
the suffering and the sadness and the anger and the whatever. But what also is interesting, and you see this all the time with people who are forced to write a poem in like a workshop where there's the potential that they have to share. It almost always starts with their ego allowing themselves to poetically express the truth of what they felt. And almost always by the end of the poem, you hear their soul speaking. It's, it's almost like we can't help it. It's almost like you cannot help if you have to tell yourself the story and you're allowed to be honest with yourself, that if you're honest with yourself at the beginning and you have to keep going, that at the end, the soul whisper comes in and it's not the energy of this is all happening for me. It's the energy of this happened for me. And it's like, we all know whether or not we're bullshitting ourselves. Like if, if we just took a moment to be still, we know whether or not we're bullshitting ourselves. And sometimes the same story, the same exact thought can be spiritually bypassing and then it can be the fucking bells of truth ringing throughout your entire goddamn body. And only you know, and you can feel it. And I think that the truth of the way comes through allowing your ego to tell its truth about all the squirmies that you're feeling. I want to touch on that for a second because I think everyone does know but this idea I've encountered before and reminding myself of who I used to be is useful here I and everyone has a tuner inbuilt in you that as you develop your sensitivity to it you can get more and more in tune with the chords that your emotions are playing at the beginning, it may be a very imprecise instrument. So you may just know, I'm hurting. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and as you develop the sensitivity to that instrument, you may start to be able to trace like, oh, I'm hurting because of this. And now I can fully dive into that feeling. But it's just to give people out there permission. Like I've, I've had people I've worked with express this to me. Like, well, I don't, I don't know which is true and which is not. It's like, directionally which do you think is more likely to be true right now oh, and then you this. act it out in the world and you get feedback exactly like, it's like it's like you inherited a piano and there's nothing else in the goddamn house and you can't leave the house like it's just you and that piano and the piano are all of your goddamn emotions and at first you have no idea you're just fucking clanking on that thing and you're like this does not feel good but you're stuck in the house as long as you have a body. This is the thing that's in the house. And like it also, it's, it's one of the beautiful invitations of this life is like, you get to figure out how you are tuned. Like you get, you get to understand or to explore like how, how anger manifests itself in your body and how you projectile that energy out through your meat suit. And the same with sadness and depression and lust and hunger and pride and all of it. And it's like a piano that didn't get to fucking play every goddamn note. That piano was probably sad after it fucking broke down, you know, like I agree. And I think it's a part of the beauty of what we get to explore by being a human is all the cores of the emotions that are inside of us. I 
I love this discussion and it's bringing me into going back to the idea of witnessing and witnessing another's pain without having to change it. I feel that in my recent uh, ayahuasca ceremony, there was a series of discourses that were sort of direct downloads of collective pain and having to stay on the surfboard of my godlike awareness and allow this suffering of others to be experienced, to be witnessed. And it was hell because it was just not just like one ceremony, like one five-hour ceremony. It was like 20, 30, 40 hours of just watching suffering. And initially I was like, oh, I want to like, what, what do I do with this? What do I do? And it was like, no, witness. Because in witnessing the suffering of another without changing it, we are turning toward it and saying, yes, this too. This is God. This part of you is God. This suffering is God. And this other part of you that maybe you like better and identify with is God. But to, to look at the suffering and to want to change it or turn away from it or be uncomfortable is to reject the God in that and therefore to reject part of ourselves and the other. And I had a really beautiful experience in my integration process with all of this was I came to a point of feeling like I went so deep with the medicine that I worried that parts of me did not come back. So I started Googling all this stuff about psycho-spiritual emergencies and shamanic initiations. And I remembered that I had somebody in my network. She was actually at my first moon, so my first menstruation. Um, my mom had a sacred rite of passage for me where she invited these elder women. Many of them were Native American because my mom ha has a lot of Native American powerful women. So they had the circle for me. They initiated me into womanhood when I was 13 and, you know, anointed me with oils and, and put jewelry on me. It was beautiful. And I've stayed in contact with these women. They've, they've been with me my, my whole life. And a few years ago, one of them actually gave me, we had a ceremony at TP and she gifted me a buffalo drum. And that's when music um, and singing like started to activate within me. And I remembered her and I thought, oh, I wonder if this woman will do a soul retrieval for me because I almost feel like pieces of myself are caught in the outer realms right now. And so I called her up and she was just so happy to do it. And this is at the beginning of the quarantining. And so she's basically going to do it. No, no substances, but we're, she's going to do a drum journey for me. And so on the appointed day, uh, she has her drum and I'm just to be in meditation while she drums and lets it channel through her. And I had an incredibly powerful vision. First, I was riding on the back of this like giant 
manatee in the cosmos. It was just me like holding on the back of this manatee, sailing through the cosmos. And then suddenly the scene changed and there was a massive bonfire and I was sitting in full lotus in the middle of the fire. My physical body was burning and you could smell the flesh. You could, you know, see it burning. And I was just stoically allowing myself to be burned to ash. And I watched the decay. I watched my, my bones turn to dust. And then I saw a golden like light ghost be revealed. And that light ghost, like a little wisp, then started to travel into the mouths of all the people that were sitting around the fire. So at first the people sitting around the fire were the mood was unconscious, but my light ghost started to just dip in through their mouths and give them this like breath of lightness. And then I watched their, their body, their own light bodies light up. And then the people stood up and with the ashes, as the fire started to burn down, they started to dance and they started to stamp their feet and dance. And my ashes were being crushed into the earth and they were in this light ritual and suddenly they were they had gone from being separate to hugging each other holding hands and dancing together and my ashes are being mashed into the earth and now i'm this awareness watching it all and as time went on i i saw something happening on the ground and i saw and i thought oh they're aerating the ground they're creating fertility and soon these tiny, tiny little seeds that started to sprout out like these little beautiful green things out of my dark, muddy ashes. And I was just, tears were just streaming down my face. This is all over the course of maybe seven minutes or something. And in the end, I watched the green earth and then I zoomed out, my awareness zoomed back out, and I was back up in the cosmos. And then in perfect time, she, she strummed the last note on the drum. And then she turned to me and she said, now I hear you. Now I hear you. And it was my turn to speak. And although she had had her own vision, which I know she wanted to share with me and was equally potent as, as a shaman, she just said, now I hear you. She witnessed me speak. And then she, she thanked me. She said, I thank you. And we ended our call. And it was so powerful. So <laughs> that is... That is your answer to the question you asked at the beginning of the podcast where you said when you're in a low state and you ask why. To me, what I see in that vision is that's literally your soul showing you that's why. When you sit in the fire, the mana that you give everyone who witnesses it builds the light inside of them. And from the inspiration that they witness from the mana watching you sit in your fire it fucking revitalizes the earth 
the world. Like, that's what I see. That's me projecting mm -hmm. my experience onto your vision. But that to me, like, that is why. That's why. Can we talk about how you just casually summarized one of the probably deepest and most important ideas in ceremonial magic, <laughs> which is the trial of the fucking abyss? <laughs> it's this idea, for those that are listening that may not be familiar, that you have to traverse a surrendering of everything to become everything to access the place that is uniquely your power on the other side. And people mistake this with that you have to go through these great sufferings, but in psychedelic journeys and in the drum circle journey as well, <laughs> it's in the surrender to the idea of it happening that you melt away into everything. And I've had psychedelic journeys as well, where you have this experience of suffering 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 and you pop out the bottom and it's almost like you dug a hole through the earth into china and you're like back upright and you're like what this is where we are oh fucking cool but that was such a beautiful summary of that idea that i just couldn't not point that out i wanted to scream multiple times and i waited until the end <laughs> <laughs> and and i just want to say like to tie that back into what we were saying before was I don't know how much in Western culture we have the opportunity for somebody to say, now I hear you. So I want to bring that forth just as a piece for anyone listening. It's like, when's the last time you let someone speak as long as they wanted to speak and not anxiously check the time on your phone or multitask, cleaning up your kitchen while they were doing it? Like when's the last time you just sat in front of someone and said to yourself first, primed yourself, conditioned yourself to say, okay, this might be a little uncomfortable because I'm going to actually have to open my heart enough to feel their pain. Because if I don't, they're going to feel it. And they're going to like either rush through the story, feel rushed. They're going to feel my energy. So I have to give myself the pep talk of like, all right, am I in the energetic space for this? Can I do this? Am I willing to hold this? Am I confident that I can energetically cleanse myself afterward of this experience? If all the green lights are there, it's like, can you offer that gift to somebody in your life today? Because that, they might never even thank you for it, but they will feel it mm -hmm. and they will be changed because of it. Hollow bone. Empty yourself out and allow that person to spill completely over you. And just allow yourself to really hear them. It's, it's a type of magic that exceeds every ceremony, every ritual you can do, and you can fucking do it anywhere you are with another person any fucking time. What's interesting is that actually might be one of the most effective ways to improve your felt sense of depression. Is what if you go... Just go hear someone you love, you know, because what's interesting is when you really listen, like I get into flow and when I'm in flow, I'm not thinking about myself at all. When you really witness someone, you enter into a flow state, they feel seen, they're healed. And for an hour or two, you didn't even think about your depression. It heals both. Absolutely. 
because you know what Alex was saying before it's like depression being kind of a selfish state it's it is the sense of separation it's the sense of extreme loneliness I am disconnected from the all that is right and that's a hard pattern to break when you feel that way the last thing you want to do is go talk to people um but you know one of the notes that i had written myself about depression is when i feel like i just want somebody anybody to ask me how i'm doing what i can do is go out and ask another even if it's like I couldn't get myself to like put pants on today and then I just made myself do it and I went to a coffee shop and all I could do was like ask the barista how their day was going. It probably made me feel better because I got out of myself for just one second and maybe they told me something like their dog just died and it snapped me out of it. You know, it's pattern interruption and I'm like, oh yeah, other people are out there going through stuff too. Cool. We're all in this together. <laughs> you know? So I think that's, that's one really um, helpful, profound thing, Eric. And thank you so much for offering that. Absolutely. The thing I want to swing back to real quick, just for you personally, is if you ever feel that why again, I would invite you to imagine that goddamn vision. Because that to me feels like your version of my sandcastle and tidal wave. Like, cause the sandcastle tidal wave, that's like, it's, it's a fucking spell that I can imagine that's already ingrained in my body that whenever I'm wavering on my why, I'm like, Oh, hurt. Like the fact is girl and, and for you, like there is disproportionate responsibility given to those who have the capability because of their meat suit and what they're able to do with their mouths and their fingers to help the world, you have to go through more education and education is suffering. But so here's the thing. No, education is pain. Pain with meaning equals growth. Pain without meaning equals suffering. But like, you guys have broken your egos open and the moment the ego gets broken open and you let the fucking whisper of the divine in, it's like, Oh, you just said you wanted to go to graduate school. Let's fucking go. And it's, it's going to be like this for the rest of our lives. Like growth. Trees don't stop growing. Cause it's like, ah, I'm good. Nah. If, if, if there's fucking energy in that body, they're just continuing to motherfucking do the thing. So I just recorded a video the other day that I think you'll love, Eric. Hallie, you'll love this as well, but Eric, you'll specifically <laughs> like this. So <laughs> this was, I wanted to, I'm starting a video series on YouTube where I'm going to take some of these like concepts that I think could be a little difficult to grasp and just break them down into the best easy metaphors I can. And the first one I did was the idea of the conscious, the subconscious, and the collective unconscious. And the image that I used as a metaphor was that of a tree, which like, duh. But the tree above ground is your conscious mind. It's taking in data, it's getting the sunlight, it's absorbing that, and it's kind of allowing you to interact with the world. The roots themselves are your subconscious. They're attached to you, but you're not fucking aware of them very often unless you choose to actively think about them. The dirt that surrounds the roots 
The motherfucking earth. The whole motherfucking world. The whole earth (laughs) is the collective unconscious. And it's from there that we draw the nutrients that sustain us. And it's in these moments of pain, in these moments of flow. And I think in these moments of extreme joy. Like I think, I think maybe. Wait, joy? What? I think it was maybe Aubrey that said this, where it's like, we, we grow at the ones and the tens. And we deprive ourselves of the ability to feel those ones and tens. We deprive ourselves of the ability to grow. And that growth, just draw it up through your roots, bring it into that subconscious, bring it up to your conscious and allow that to blossom into who you're supposed to be. I was looking at a plant yesterday and I realized I've never watched a plant actually grow from seed to fruit in my entire fucking life. And I'm talking about trees and fucking all this stuff without actually like, I'm so in my head and in my books. But anyways, I actually got to witness kind of from start to finish a seed bear fruit. And it just hit me like a goddamn hallelujah moment. Like plants are literally the best metaphor that I know of to represent like what I call the acorn game, which is just like, it's the most adaptive story I've been able to come up with for how to fucking be a person. And the end point is, if you do the dance of breaking the seed, which is, I think, the ego, and you get the roots down into the dirt, and that's all your motherfucking suffering, there's this thing that starts to grow out of you. And it eventually will bear fruit. And I think kind of the ultimate cycle of a hero's journey is you get to a place where you begin creating. And I really think creating art in whatever way that that is true for you. That is the holy grail of this whole motherfucking dance is what is the thing inside of you asking you to make? And as you start to hone the ability to make, like you are the closest thing that humans can be to God. And when you're in that act of creating, there is no there is nothing but just that feeling. Well, that's not exactly true, but (laughs) when you're in the flow, it's God. And whenever you're not in the flow, but you're trying, at least to me, it's, um, it's, it's duty. And I, and I mean that in like the highest sense of the word is I am showing up to what my being is being asked to do by God. And so, yeah, I, I, I saw the budding fruit of a, of a, I think it was a fucking strawberry um, plant. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and how ironic and serendipitous and coincidental, but not fucking coincidental, that the single best metaphor for the journey that we all need to go on is actually often you take some of these different plants and holy shit, they're like a spotlight for that fucking journey. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, well, I think we're getting close to the end here. This will easily be the longest podcast I've done, so I'm loving it. I guess we could end with just a quick moment from each of you. Hallie, you first, perhaps. And we'll start with what's the one thing right now that is really fucking working for you? And what's the one thing that you're kind of aware isn't quite working for you and you'd like to discard? And I'll say, I'll say mine while I give you both a chance to think so I don't just put you on the spot with a hard question. The thing that's working for me right now is embracing my creative process. And that includes like learning how to play guitar now, fucking doing art, writing, journaling, 
embracing all the pieces of my creative process, which includes shit like I take a bath every motherfucking day. Oh, I did, yeah, gosh. Every day. Because I just love that feeling of just like sinking in. I've just got like some music on, real chill in the background, and just like ideas sprouting from me. It's like I'm watering my human tree. <laughs> <laughs> and that shit is working for me. What isn't working for me is the feeling of guilt that sometimes sneaks in the back door and goes, hmm, you're doing too much tapping into your flow and you're not doing enough creating a new revenue stream. So that's the part that isn't working for me that I'm slowly tearing apart and kind of going, hmm, is that really the case? Hallie, how about you? I think the thing that is really working for me now, which is something that I've adapted for the last couple of years and continues to be my lighthouse in times of good, or I don't want to say good and bad, but in times of ease and times of challenge is telling the truth and telling the truth beyond what I feel is possible. So yeah. yeah. When things come up in my life, be it like uh, I have a podcast scheduled and I just feel like I can't show up that day and my ego wants to make an excuse of why that is, um, I will lean into it and be like, now, if I'm going to actually reschedule this, I'm going to tell that person exactly why. Hmm. Or if something's going on, you know, I'm going through a breakup right now and it's like, uh, I, I saw something the other day on, on his social media that I found like really triggering. And um, I decided to take a break from all of that, you know, like looking at all of it. And he noticed, and, and I wanted to tell him why. And I noticed my ego wanting to be like, well, somebody sent me this video in which you're kind of making a vague reference to maybe like jumping right into bed with someone else or something like that. And I was like, that's not true, Howie. You were creeping his profile and you saw it. So like, tell him the truth. And I was, so I told the truth. I was like, yeah. Listen, I saw this video in which you said this. I wish I wouldn't have. And like, now I'm hurting. And this is why I need to take time. And every time that I tell the truth, especially when it's an ugly truth on the surface, I walk away feeling like I had just given myself the biggest gift. Yeah. So that's what's working for me. And I will continue to do that every day of my life, hopefully until the day I die. And what's not working for me is beating myself up about routines or sticking to routines that, I should, I should, I should do this. I should do that. It's like, I think that there's, there's a beauty, particularly in difficult periods to just surrendering to flow. And if I feel like sweating that day, I'm going to sweat because it'll probably make me feel good. And if I want to eat this, I'll do that. And I just like, you know, for a person like me, who's so a type and so organized, this is actually my pattern breaker is to just let myself spill and fall and, waterfall into what wants to happen in my healing process love that i want to just i want to mention that telling the truth about how you're feeling to others is self-love it's literally you telling your own emotions they are valid and they are seen because if you had chosen the easy path and said 
Now I'm gonna say that someone sent this to me. That's you sending a signal to yourself. My emotions and my feelings are too crazy. I'm not allowed to express them. So I think that's just like worth noting that like when we tell those messy truths, we are showing ourselves it is okay to be the fucking humans that we all are. Oh man, and Alex, it has taken me so long to get there and Same. so much plant medicine. And you know, I'll, Eric, you can you can go in a second here, but I just want to say like that for me is the biggest difference of this little period of depression versus other ones is I'm allowing myself to have this, but underneath I'm like, I got you, babe. Like, I love you. This sucks. But like you, you fucking rock. Like you are a warrior. And I viscerally feel that in my whole being. I'm like, you are not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. And this can hurt and it cannot be your fault. Mm. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so that last part that you just touched on reminded me of <clears throat> uh, a relationship that I had about a year ago when I could feel it starting to end. Um, I remember one day I was in the shower and I was snot weaving and I said out loud in this really young, weak voice, like, I am so sad. I don't know what to do. But then I also said through my weeping, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you because I know that you are doing your absolute best. And yeah, it just feels good to be, and you know, there's a part of me that like watch out for people who haven't been there yet because you're not helping them get there. But the mm -hmm. truth is I'm just so grateful that I'm at the point in my dance where in my most quote unquote pathetic states, I feel this part of me that's just like, I am so fucking proud of you. You're fucking doing it. Um, but to answer the question, the, the most recent thing that I've been trying out that feels like it's working the best because the top one is, tell the truth and love and whatever happens is the best possible thing. But the most recent thing that I've started to play with that I'm like, Oh, this is really a thing is doodling on my iPad about the dense fucking shit I'm reading. And I feel like the boy inside of me like, Oh, this is so much fucking fun. And things are just clicking and I'm, I'm loving it. And I, I really feel like drawing doodles is going to be a fundamental part of all of my writing going forward. So watch out for the doodles because they're coming. I mean, eventually we get Godsey's red book. Yes. <laughs> and I want to write a children's book at some point and I want to put the doodles in there. I want to make this as easy. Anyways, it's, it's a thing, but there will be a red book, but it'll be a coloring book instead of Young's amazing painting. Anyways, okay. Um, the thing that's not working for me right now that has not been working for me for like a year and I still haven't really found a way to parse it is I feel obligated to respond to everybody who reaches out to me and I'm just simply at the point where I can not do it and it is a weight on me every fucking day like it gets to the point where I fucking just don't want to interact with my phone because the act of holding it is like you have like 50 people who love you, who you love, who are waiting for you to respond, who very likely are projecting all sorts of shit over you not responding. Some get it, some don't. And it's just like, I have got to change a story. 
or fucking change my phone number and mm-hmm. just deactivate any channel that I can't give my awareness to because it's at that point where like the program I've had my entire life is that if someone loves you, you show up for them. But we live in a world now where like all three of us now have a tribe that is literally larger than our brains can handle. Mm -hmm. And we are all the helper and the giver. And so people are going to come and be like, here are my problems. Will you help me, sir? And I don't yet know how to do this Mm. because we have not evolved to handle this. And I just still haven't figured it out. But that's the thing that's like, like I literally have to fucking write on my to-do list, respond to X, respond to X, respond to X. And it's like 25, it's, yeah. And it's just like, oh, and then I'll see that I haven't responded to someone from like a week ago. And like, it's someone I love. And it's a thing that I want to respond to, but it's just, I like, I have to listen to my song and my song involves lots of flow states throughout the day and it's just it it is a motherfucking thing so that's where i'm at right now don't have any fixes for you but i will commiserate with you that like i i owe my own parents a text right at this moment from yesterday because i opened my phone and saw way too much shit that i was like ah the phone's gonna have to just go down i don't know if i can do this today so i fucking feel you (laughs) Yeah, I also resonate with that a lot. And that's been something over time I've been kind of perfecting, perfecting my boundaries around, perfecting how I show up for that, really checking myself on, uh, does my ego think they actually need like a big, smart response back from me? Or are they just trying to be heard? So that's another thing is like, maybe just, uh, saying something that is acknowledging and makes them feel like, oh, I hear you. I've, I've seen you. I've witnessed you. And does it always have to be you offering all of your, like, your wellspring of knowledge? Because you know what? Now you're at this level where you're coaching and you are, you're, you're creating these programs so that you can reach more and more people and you need to be spending your energy there because that's how you can sow these seeds further. And the people that love you and know you will, will see that and will understand that. And the people who, who can understand that, are that's, that's an invitation for them to look. However, there's a caveat to that, which is we've been talking about truth. And I think there's an invitation here where you can say to people that, because I often will mark things as unread for a week and I'll feel guilty and, uh, my brain's trying to like prioritize who needs it the most and it's very chaotic and at some point I'll just drop into the message and I'll say hey I want you to know I've read this we don't have the capacity to respond at this moment but like I love you and thank you for coming to me like thank you for feeling safe to share this with me sometimes that's all people need period end of story and it's done so there's an invitation there it's like if a part of you Eric feels like you are supposed to be able to get to every single message like some kind of crazy Instagram God and, and then, you're fe- <laughs> then you're feeling bad that you can't, that's where the work is because maybe you don't have to, and maybe you can still make those people feel seen without having to get back to everybody else and tell the truth and let your ego be like, Oh, actually I can't respond to everyone. That's funny. I wish I could. Yeah. Love that. It's almost like using a, uh, 
oh, they have them for emails where you can set the email to bounce back to you a week later and then just checking in and going, hey, I love you. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you until right now. In fact, maybe I'm not even sorry, but I love you. <laughs> and if this thing you messaged me about is still a problem, I am now ready to help you out with it. And I bet 99 times out of 100, after a week, that problem sorted itself out yeah. without my special knowledge. <laughs> I have one final life hack for this, actually. Yeah, and it I'm... might not work for everyone, but it's been definitely working for me lately, which is the amount of writing that I do, Eric, and I'm sure this is the case for you, and Alex, probably you too, I'm on my laptop all the time. I'm consuming a bunch of text. I'm transcribing text. Then I'm reading DMs and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just way too much. So with people in my inner circle, I've, I've also been getting a million requests for Zoom calls. Like, hey, we haven't caught up in a while. Let's have a Zoom call. And my heart's torn because I'm like, I get to this weird place where I'm like, what's the value in it for me though? And then I feel selfish. I'm like, no, I'm yeah, like this feels yucky. I have just five or 10 friends from the tribe that are like, I'd love to hop on a call with you. And I want to be like, yeah, but I'm running a company and producing a podcast and writing a book. And like, can you tell me what you want to talk about though? Or like in, in 30 words or less, like that. And that's not how I want to be, right? It's not how I want to be at all. I want to be there for everyone. So what I've started doing with my, with my closer circle is like, Hey, I'm doing this voice note thing on WhatsApp. Hmm. So I've been asking people, pour your heart out like you're writing me a love letter. Just tell me what's on your mind. And I might not be able to get back to it right away, but I will when I can. And just, just know that I'll respond back and there's no pressure with the time. So now I have all these beautiful love notes in my WhatsApp inbox. And sometimes I read my friend's poetry and it's kind of like whatever's in the moment. And I'm thinking of a certain person. And while I'm making my coffee in the morning or something, like sometimes I can get through three or four of them. And I suddenly feel like I've started my day off connected with my circle, like hooked into the vibe of what's going on with my tribe. And also like, I don't have to keep marking shit as unread and like stressing myself out and not feeling like I'm getting anywhere. And I've put that hard boundary down with, with people saying, listen, I'm doing a lot. I'm trying to create all these magical things for the world. You matter to me and like trust I will get to this when I can. I can love that. New tools in the tool belt. <laughs> the other thing I've been telling people lately is if it's urgent and only I can help, send me a second message. One message is like, poke. Hi. Second message is, help. <laughs> can you still poke? Is poking still a thing on Facebook? You remember that? Like, I should go try and do it right now. <laughs> If it is, you both have been poked by the time this podcast airs. Ooh, baby. <laughs> and on a spicy we're gonna note. We're going to have to do a follow-up podcast for the spicy stuff. If so, you've been poked. How does it feel? Slower, right. faster. <laughs> Less fingers, more fingers. Anyways. Um, thank you both so much for being on and doing this with me. This was such a pleasure. I like to... And all the podcasts I do with just a second to honor the people that I have on. And you too, this will be really fucking easy. So Eric, I'm going to start with you. Eric, thank you seriously for taking your, your truth 
your sword of truth and using it to cut through the bullshit that you see, not just out in the world, but within yourself. And kind of as I see it, just what embodies you is this committing to honing the edge of that throughout the course of your life and really allowing yourself to embrace that mission so that you can use that sword to defend and love those who need defending and loving rather than using that that weapon against others. So thank you for sharing your truth. Thank you for being you and for taking the arrows and being out in the public eye as you are. And Hallie, oh, there's a fucking couple good things that pop into mind, but I think I'll go with the first one. Thank you for leaning in. I think you're one of the most vulnerable people I've ever met in terms of your ability to just go from, I'll, I'll express why this is so impactful to me. I take a good few hours to backwards engineer what the fuck I'm feeling. You are so vulnerable throughout these conversations and your ability to tap into exactly what you're feeling in that moment and then speak from that place is fucking impressive. <laughs> it's something I envy. So thank you for sharing that. And of course, all the fucking gifts you're bringing to the world and who you are as a person. <sighs> we did it. Two hours and 10 minutes. Whew. Alex, I just want to say thank you again for having both of us on. Um, thank you for those beautiful words. I feel absolutely lifted after this conversation with the both of you. You are astonishingly powerful men. I adore the both of you. I am so happy that the two of you are stepping up as leaders for, um, for men, but for everybody. Um, I just want more of it. I want more of the two of you everywhere, all over everything. And I just feel, again, it's just such an honor to to come and, and join the two of you in this conversation. And Alex, thanks for holding the container. Eric, you're dope. You know I love you. <laughs> I love you both. I see you both. And I can see that you are both in the arena with me. And I don't see that in most people. So let's fucking do it. And that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It certainly was an absolute pleasure to record. Hallie and Eric are two of my favorite people and two of my favorite thinkers that I am in contact with. So I hope you got something out of this one. You can find Hallie on Instagram at thoughtroom podcast and you can find eric on instagram at eric godsey that's e-r-i-c-k-g-o-d-s-e-y if you did enjoy this episode please consider sharing it out with a friend you know i really find that one of the best ways to introduce friends to new ideas that they might be a little bit resistant to is just send them a podcast it gives them a time to listen in isolation and they can start to allow some of these ideas to settle into their mind and really can come to start to change their mind about things that they had previously told themselves, stories that they had previously told themselves. If you enjoyed this episode as well, you can share it um, on Instagram, tag me at Alexander Diesel, and I'll make sure to repost the story. And of course, as every time I say this, it's always amazing if you leave a review on iTunes. That helps bump us up the rankings. So dropping a five star on there and writing a review is super, super helpful. You can find me at my website, www.throughtheveil.co 
and there you can book me for one-on-one coaching. You can also find my program, Vivid Visualizations, and you can also read the blog. I put a bunch of blog articles up where I write about various different things. The most recent one I wrote about anger a bit, and you can find all sorts of goodies there. And I also have a free 30-minute guided meditation for accessing or engaging with your inner child up on there that you can download for free. So go check that out, get all the free goodies, and if you want, you can book me one-on-one as well. Well, much love to you all. That is it for this week. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week.